Hey everyone, welcome to Going Off Track. I'm Jonah. I'm Steven. And I'm Chris. Woohoo! Yeah, that's awesome. Look at this, Look at this lineup. Man. I like it. Yeah, this is good. a real all-star lineup. Yeah, yeah. I, see, I see. My thing is, I, I don't get to come in anymore because of you know life and chillings and stuff. So as always, Jonah's rocking and rolling the podcast, and Chris now part of the show. Part of the yes, show. Yes, like I said, uh, uh, while I'm still unemployed. Yes, because I don't know if when I have a real job, if I'll be able to come in as much. But. Yeah, but it'll still be. You're still in, man. I'll still be here in spirit. You and Benny, Dan Ozzy. Dan Ozzy, Jeff Rosenstock. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm trying to think who else we've had as guests. Urbano's guess. been on here. Urbano, yeah. I just, yeah, I just saw and, him. And um, ID Amin. Norman uh, Brannon. Yes, ID Amin was here. Yeah, Norman has cool. a guest host Norman's in many and, and uh, Russian Circles. Oh, Brian Cook. Yeah, Brian Cook. Of course. Cook. He's been on forget? a bunch. Yes, Brian has done a bunch. Whenever yes. we have someone smart from Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> Brian, you're smart I'm from Chicago. <laughs> Is there any smart people from Chicago? Is my there, question. There are a few. Jessica Hopper, pretty smart. Oh, true. Yeah, that's very yeah, true. Uh, that's true. Maybe just she Hopper. She has a book yeah. coming out, right? Her book is out. Okay. Yeah, and... Uh, you can listen to her on this podcast. She's yeah, that's a good, that's a good one. But not that's today's a good one. podcast. Not today. today's podcast. No, today's no. podcast is another Chicago person. Oh, then I was who just, is also sorry. smart. Crap! You know, don't apologize. It's your thing. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Fuck Chicago. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. I uh, hate it there. Today's it guest, like maple syrup. Smart guy from Chicago. His name is Tim Kinsella. He's <laughs> born October twenty second, nineteen seventy four. Whoa! Uh, he has been a member of many bands, including Captain Jazz, Joan of Arc, Owls, Make Believe. Um, he also, I'm just, I'm going off his Wikipedia page now because he's been in so many bands. He, um, bartends, uh, and he, we talked about this actually. He wrote a book. He talked about that. He's about made a bartending? Fi- he's made a film. I don't, I don't actually know his book. Oh, like, what's his film? His film, um. Is it a, f- is it like one of Chris's films? <laughs> I would oh, be he amazing. No- he actually has two novels. Um, what? this, this novel actually sounds like something you would be up on because it's something that sounds kind of obscure. His, <laughs> His second novel, <laughs> Let Let Go and Go On and On, takes its inspiration from the late actress Lori Bird's brief career in the 70s. I do know who that is. Who yes. is that? She was in Tulane Blacktop. Okay. And you see her in, fuck, something. Uh, maybe it's Manhattan. Uh, Woody Allen's Manhattan for five oh, seconds, yeah. I think. But her real, the thing that people remember her for is Tulane Blacktop, which is James Taylor and Dennis Wilson. Uh-huh. Um, if you didn't think that James Taylor could act, you're right. But... In his terrible actingness, he is brilliant in Tulane Blacktop, and I highly recommend that everybody sets through is it. Is Dennis Wilson swimming in it, or no? Well, he's swimming in bad acting, but he's <laughs> he's also truly awesome, and they play off each other so well. It's um it's a road movie, kind of made at this time that I find very interesting in Hollywood, where it's the seventies and Easy Rider happens, and all the studio heads have no fucking idea what they're gonna. What's the, what is this generation? Because all the studio heads are exactly um, like these, you know, these mustache twirling old men who are, oh, yeah. remember Rock Hudson and they remember Goldwyn. Yeah, yeah. In my day, we didn't even read scripts. Exactly, and those guys were still heads of the studios at the end of the '60s. So Easy Rider happens, and they're like, "This movie just made millions Easy of Rider, dollars." What came first, Easy Rider or Five Easy Pieces? Easy Rider. Okay, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's all by that same production company, mm-hmm. um, I, whose name I can't Coked remember. Coked out of our mind productions. Yeah, so they do they do Easy Rider, they do Head by the Monkees, which is pretty much the yeah. best musical you'll ever watch it's in your life. It's pretty insane. It's one of my favorite examples of subversion in the Hollywood system ever, because they're like, yeah, we're the Monkees, watch us fuck up our whole entire thing. Yeah. It's so good. So good. So, that happens, but what they do is kind of what happened in 
to punk in the in the in the 90s with green day and everything else is that the studios just start throwing money at people so things like the devils happens ken russell's the devils but they just start giving these money to these young kids who are out of fucking film school and like are just making these insane movies and they can make whatever they want they either yeah they work like monty hellman who did tulane blacktop he worked for corman everybody works for corman everybody but tulane blacktop is an amazing watch it is the most plotless chilled out hangout movie pretty much of that era out of all those movies What's but Lori Bird's in it for a very extended length of time. She had a very super short career. She basically plays the love interest. But like I said, it's not really like your typical love interest. She's just along for the ride. But anyway, so his book is about that. Sounds like something you might be interested in. I would look at it. I would never listen to his bands, but I would look at the book. <laughs> Perfect. You know what I mean? I remember Cabin Jazz. I don't remember listening to it, but I remember him. You know? Yeah. yeah. And the other bands. <laughs> was he in karate? I don't know. No, that was Jeff Farina. Yeah. Now we're talking about something I know something about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Aside from everything you guys have talked about for the last five minutes, I'm like, huh? Uh, dude, I, I, I know shit peripherally. Um, uh, this is exciting. Uh, we're sponsored. Yes, we have a sponsor for, this, epita- for this episode. Ooh, oh, an, epi- this an episode. episode. I got ahead of myself. Uh, once again, we're sponsored by the fine folks at Epitaph Records. Um, specifically, the music that you're hearing right now is a song called January 10th, 2014 from the band The World is a Beautiful Place and I'm No Longer Afraid to Die Um, They have a new album out now called Harmlessness I actually have been listening to it They tour with Piano Within the Teeth I just toured with them, two members of my band And yeah, I like this I like pianos, Chris, you like pianos? I don't know what it sounds like, I've never heard it the name sounds like one of those names that I would never listen to it on purpose, but if it came on or was recommended... I would be via... surprised if we said anything. Chris is like, I think that sounds cool, music-wise. Um, maybe something. <laughs> I like music. You like music. Y'all. But, um, but yeah, so these guys have a new album out called Harmlessness, and they're on tour this fall with Foxing, This Town Needs Guns, and Brightside. So um, if you like the way this music sounds, you want to support this podcast, support Epitaph, um, check out the record. And now let's get into it with our friend Tim Kinsella. All right. Um, You guys good? Feeling good. All right. How do you feel, Norman? Pretty good. Chase? Good. All right. Hey, uh, welcome to Going Up Track. I'm here with uh, guest host Norman Brannon. You're very mumbly today. I am. Uh, I'm, yeah. All right. Let's try again. <laughs> hey, welcome to Going Off Track. I'm Jonah, joined by guest host Norman Brandon, and our guest today is Tim Kinsella. Hello. How's it going? Feeling great. <laughs> uh, I always do. I love awkward introductions. Yeah, I hate doing the introductions. And then I feel like we do an intro before this where I introduce everyone, so then it's me right. doing it again. This is where you need Steven. This is Stephen excels at at like high energy, good introductions, not making it super weird. But I think mm. probably <laughs> making it super weird is like the natural way to do it. Yeah, or, or you know what I mean, like how you said that felt awkward. That's just like the natural feeling at the moment of doing this thing that seems formalized and fake. Right. So if you do it formalized <laughs> and fake, then it's like awkward. I'm just not good at like high energy in general. I'm kind yeah, of I'm very. So this is like going to be really cool. Well, not like I'm not like going to fall asleep, <laughs> but I'm not like, hey, dudes, what's up? Like, Although, okay, this so is going to be time, radical. One time, I I guest hosted uh, with lights. Uh, you know, lights. This uh-huh. she's an electro pop kind of singer from Canada. Oh yeah, yeah, I've seen her. Yeah. And uh, 
and I just remember, <laughs> we were doing, there were so many moments where I looked over at Jonah and he was just like sitting there, like not saying anything. And I was like, so lights, <laughs> let's talk. In fairness, a lot of times I felt like I was just staring at her. <laughs> for what reason? Might we know. just sit here and look at each other for an hour? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I found this Pro Tools track. Do you know Salvia? You know yes. that track? So uh, I had the Salvia phase maybe like 12 years ago. Okay. And uh, I was cleaning out this hard drive. And I found a Pro Tools session named Salvia, which, if you don't know it, it's like a, it's like a, I guess it's a psychedelic. It has all this mythology. It's like real Carlos Castaneda kind of like has this mythology that it all comes from one mysterious plant in Mexico, and every every Salvia you get from everywhere comes from the one plant. You know, um, and how the hell do you get it? Head shops. Yeah, it's yeah, legal. It's, it's legal, so, I think, or was. All so right. part of what's weird about it has a reverse tolerance. So like, like I would see friends of mine smoke it, and we'd be like, "You should probably sit down." They're like, "No, it's cool." And as soon as the flame would hit the bowl, they would just like collapse. You know, like you just fall, you just enter this other zone, and everyone sort of has the same experience of like, I don't know, man. I was like in this. I was like trapped in this womb, and then I was like expelled on the beach. <laughs> it's like so. Every time you smoke it, it gets deeper. Anyways, I found this Pro Tools session that just said salvia on it, and it was eight minutes of total silence, and then just me screaming, "Hello, hello!" <laughs> so, Would you do this alone? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that feels weird. There, right? there, sometimes oh, you want like a. There's some uh, good YouTube videos. Like, if you go on YouTube and just type in Salvia, it's just videos of people trips, and it's insane. I feel like I remember that. Yeah. I've definitely seen that. But it would be like, people would have freakouts, right? It's really quick. It's like 10 minutes, you're like transported to this other zone. One second, you're just in this other realm dimension. And then one second, you're just out, and you're like, whoa, what was that? Um, I guess I thought it'd be a so good idea. So when's it coming out? <laughs> when is it coming? Salvia, the track. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> coming out on J Tree. <laughs> I guess I thought it'd be brilliant. Like, oh man, well, what will I record on this? <laughs> Just myself screaming hello eight minutes later. You forgot you pressed record. Yeah. It usually takes way longer on this podcast to get into talking about psychedelics, uh, but I like that you kicked it off. They're they're fundamental to my personality yeah. in a way. Sure. Have you have you experimented with like DMT or mushrooms or Oh yeah. 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 Do you feel um, like it helps your kind of creative process or just Uh no, I mean I would I eat mushrooms once a year now. It's and uh been liking Molly a lot. Is that okay say on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is this the radio? No, this you can say radio, whatever you so. want. You can swear, you can do whatever. Um Yeah, Molly's really nice. I guess everyone knows that. That's, that's why people like to eat it. <laughs> Do you ever feel like if like everyone in the world did mushrooms at least like a couple times, everything would just sort of work oh, itself yeah. out a little Actually, bit? Actually, our booking agent, Tim Edwards, I remember years ago, he's like a, he's a pretty chill guy in a lot of ways, but he's also like a little bit, I wouldn't say uptight, but like a little bit of like a serious guy. But I remember him once, and this, this statement perfectly encapsulates his chillness and seriousness he's like the only thing that should be mandatory law is everyone needs to eat mushrooms on their 21st birthday <laughs> and and it's always stuck with me because it's like right like you just get this glimpse of like expanded reality and then everything yeah 
It's like going to another country. Totally. You know? I listen to like a lot of podcasts that talk like Duncan Trussell and Joe mm-hmm. Rogan and all their podcasts, and they they always talk about how like people like Dick Cheney wouldn't exist if right. they had tried that when they were, and how like yeah, we should just have it like. You see a shaman when you're 21, they go through and make sure it's safe or whatever, and then you have, mm-hmm. like, a guided experience. Yeah. But is it possible? Because I'll be I'll, straight up. So, like, I've never done anything. Never smoked pot. Never psychedelics. Nothing People harder, like clearly. Norm wouldn't exist if this <laughs> So, and, and I'm amazing. So, no. <laughs> but part of that, I think, is that, like, I even know just the way alcohol mm-hmm. sort of affects me, Right. In a way where, like, I can drink, you know, have a few drinks and feel good. But I know and I'm very hyper aware of, like, when, if I have another drink... It gets dark. It gets dark. Super fucking dark. And, like, I am that guy who will be in the corner kind of, like, don't look at me, you know? (laughs) And and so doing anything harder than that is just, like... Well, it's, it's, it's tough. Like, I feel like this is like a, there's a generalization on like drugs, you know, like I would never do acid again. Like I've only done a couple times years and years ago and it's like never in a million years and people associate acid and mushrooms as the same thing. Oh, I wouldn't. Yeah. But I'm just saying like, so it's, it's, you can't just be like, like, and I hate being around people on cocaine. Like it's like, it sucks. Yeah. It's, that's terrible. But like people sort of like blindly associate cocaine and weed even, which are just sort of like so different, you know? So uh, I feel like I'm sort of stating the obvious, but I'm just, um, what Jonah's talking about, like a controlled thing with a shaman for your mushroom experience, that's more like a religious right than a, I can't even understand people who smoke weed and like go out. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I did that for 15 years. Right. But now I like smoke weed to stay in by myself, you know? I could see that more. Yeah. I mean, I think like like my partner, whenever he smokes weed, he gets crazy paranoid though. Yeah. So he doesn't do it often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sometimes he's like, sometimes you get you get lucky, you get the sweet spot, but you have to roll the dice. Well, the problem is also is I did that for years too. And it's like, I'd be like, oh, I got to go this thing. I guess I'll get high first. And then I go and I act so weird and I yeah, can yeah. feel myself acting weird. And I'm like, I got to stop doing this. And then the next day I got to go to the thing. I'm like, well, I guess I should do this again. Right. Like you yeah, don't I did that really 15 like. years. Yeah. And then. What kind of changed for you? You know what happened? Uh, war, war on terror. Like the paranoia just got like. I felt like I was the only living person in like a zombie world, like seeing like the shock and awe and the headlines and stuff. And it was just like, I just got so paranoid. I had to quit smoking weed entirely for like a year. And then it was like, I could start again. It was like every two weeks, just like one night by myself, could never leave the apartment. Um, Now there's been such like advancements in drug dealers. (laughs) Like you can say, you could be like, Hey man, I want weed that makes me concentrate and makes me sharp, but doesn't make me paranoid. And he'll be like, "Okay, try this." And then you go back the next time. You're like, mm, "That's a little too speedy." Can I get something that like chills me out, but I'm concentrated and not paranoid? And he's like, "Oh yeah, try this." You know? Yeah, but I feel like that's also like coffee and like wine for me, where I'm like, "Yeah, it tastes like coffee. It tastes like I feel like I don't have a super refined palate when it comes to anything." Sort right. of. I'm just like, "Yeah, I feel high. This is the same for me." I bet the degree to which your palate is refined is largely determined by how defined how refined you think your palate is yeah you know that's what i mean probably like true. if you say i don't have a refined palate 
then you're predetermining. I'm saying this as someone who loves shitty coffee. <laughs> like, I love all coffee. And I can't tell. I could tell a nice wine. I don't know. Can I mean, you? I guess I can a little bit too. I mean, I'm, I mean, come on. I mean, I'm just saying this because, like, you know, I feel like study after study after study shows all these people who, like, you know, consider themselves to be, like, very high, sophisticated palates for wine tasting. And then they do the blind tests and they always choose the cheaper wines right. and, like, you know. Yeah, that's that true. I know that, um, should I name drop on this thing? (laughs) (laughs) Depends if you're snitching. Do it. Okay. (laughs) I was just in LA and I'm friends with this guy, Devander Banhart, maybe you've heard of. Of course. (laughs) I think he's famous. Yeah. Well-known musician. Well-known musician, artist, great guy. Close friend of Tim's. I don't want to say close friend, but I'm, I'm saying it. <laughs> he's my bro. So we're like celebrating that we like never see each other. And then we did. So we're like, let's get this $45 shot. This is going to make us sound like, you know, like, so whatever. <laughs> and it reminded me of like the first time a friend of mine ever bought a thousand dollar acoustic guitar. And I was like, I've always played $300 guitars. And I was like, what the hell are you going to do with a thousand dollar guitar? That's insane. And then you touch it and you're like, oh, <laughs> right. I could play anything on this. <laughs> right. That's the secret. You get yeah. like a nice tool. And this $45 sipper of bourbon was like, we were like, that's insane. Who could do this? And we we're like, well, let's see. And then I was like, oh, right. I've never tasted bourbon before. So cheap wine versus like, I couldn't tell the difference between an $8 bottle and a $12 bottle and a $20 bottle. Yeah. But I bet the $1,000 guitar version, you'd be like, whoa. Yeah. Okay. I could, I could see that. Do you think that the smelling stuff affects it at all? With wine? Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, the smelling stuff, for people who don't know, I can't smell. I don't, oh. I lost my sense of smell in a car accident. Really? Yeah. How old were you? <laughs> uh, I was t- 11 years ago now. Mm. So, uh, it's been a while since I smelled anything. Um, but I don't know that it's hard to say cause it's one of those things like where when something's missing, it's hard to say like what's missing. Like you sort of just took for granted that you could smell all those years. And right. Then, I was just going to ask know. how did, like, what was the first moment when you realized your sense of smell was gone? It actually took a while cause I was in the hospital for like t- almost two months and. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, I basically was like. You know, I don't know. You just expect the hospital to smell very stale. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I just didn't even think about it. And plus also like I was fucking like couldn't move and in a wheelchair. So I had a lot of other things I was thinking about, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, and it's not like their food was particularly delicious. So right. I was like, you know, Ooh, this bagel smells wonderful. Like, mm-hmm. um, so it really wasn't until about two months later, I went to my friend Rob took me into his house and he sort of like nursed me back to health. Um, but while I was there, my roommate brought my toiletries. And so I, I took my first shower by myself in mm-hmm. like two months, you know, and I had all my stuff. And when I got out of the shower, I was like, that's weird. I usually smell really good after a shower. Right. <laughs> and I started smelling my, you know, my arm and I was like kind of freaking out. And, uh, and then I, Rob came into the room and I was like, hey, Rob, I was like, this is going to be really weird. Can you smell my arm? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he smelled my arm and he, I was like, what does that smell like to you? He's like, oh, that citrusy stuff you like. Yeah. And I was like, fuck. And I was like, bring incense now. And yeah. that was that was when I realized that I Whoa, can't smell. That's so intense. Yeah. So that's just like a little part of the brain that registers smell, just got right. irreversible trauma. Yeah. So like my in my accident, my brain shook inside of my skull. 
And so when that happened, there was uh, cranial bleeding. Mm -hmm. And apparently whatever, they they always point to this place above your eye socket um, as the place that houses your sense of smell. But Mm. whatever happened in the shaking, cut it off or did something to it. (laughs) So food must taste different. I actually think I have a more acute sense of taste than I did before. Like, hmm. I feel like I appreciate food a lot more. And uh, and I think that my palate, if we talked about palates, mm-hmm. I actually do think that my palate got more refined somehow because, uh, you know, sometimes your sense of smell, I think, interferes with pure taste. And so, you know, you might smell something and then taste it and you're getting this sort of integrated moment. Right. But without the smell, you're really just getting the pure taste of it. And I can... Like every time I'm watching reality TV, like Hell's Kitchen or something, and like they're doing the like taste blind t- taste test, I'm like, I'll kill this because <laughs> <laughs> I can really do it. I can eat stuff and be like, okay, that's got this, 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 and this. Like yeah, I know yeah. I I've started to really like get those yeah those weird savant kind I, of moments. <laughs> like I'm such an idiot and still smoke. Twenty uh, something years I've been smoking, so at this point my my sense of taste is basically like buffalo sauce or not buffalo sauce <laughs> like there's like two kinds of flavor so do, do you think quitting could you sort of regain oh yeah yeah because i quit for a year and just started oh. again like two years ago but i made it a whole year without smoking and within a month it was like oh my god the the world like <laughs> you know my lung my breathing capacity and like sense of taste yeah yeah but it's nothing compared to the satisfaction of that blip of nicotine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad I never got into that. that Oh, it's so stupid. (laughs) It's expensive as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course that says a lot about my personality. Dude, I'm the same way. (laughs) No, it is. It's totally, I mean, it's, it's totally ridiculous. But when you roll, like I do just drinking $45, (laughs) 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 $12 pack is cheap. Wouldn't it be so funny? Yeah. Right. It'd be so funny if I was like, I I won't name names. I hung out with (laughs) two famous Chicago people recently who are like both, John Cusack. (laughs) 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 They're both a little older than me. Just circumstantially, the three of us had 15 minutes alone. And it was like they were one-upping each other on like their fame, (laughs) like their privileges of their fame. And it was like, this is insane. Like, this is what you guys do? Like, you're like so like... Yeah, you know what I mean. It, you you would think. Did it's you like, tell them? Did you see my Wikipedia page? <laughs> <laughs> it just made me so bummed out to be like, "Oh, these guys are like as successful as creative people as like anyone gets to be," and yet they're still like so insecure that they're trying to like prove to each other like, "Well, I get this and act like it's no big deal," you know? Right. So I, I just thought that because it'd be so funny if I was like. Well, I was drinking a forty-five dollar shot. Of, you know, if I just kept listing these things, it actually revealed my insecurity. You know, right? Well, the thing is that, like, I feel like you know, it's when you started telling the story. To me, it was a very matter-of-fact story. Uh, it was your own sort of perception of how we would take Devendra Banhart's name that yeah. that freaked you out. It seemed. <laughs> well, I hate. Yeah, whatever. But it's but what's right? But what's the deal? I'm sure that there are a lot of kids in America who look at you as like, who, who the fuck cares about Devendra Banhart? Tim Kinsella. 
<laughs> nah. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I, th- I always think it's interesting, like, about celebrity. Like, I feel like if you hit a certain level of celebrity, you can't date someone who isn't famous. And I look at all these couples sometimes, I'm like, what the fuck do you guys talk about? Like, do you just talk about your job all the time? Well, what's it like when you date? Because you're so... <laughs> <laughs> but it makes sense in, like... I remember watching the um, Barry White behind the music, and his best friend was uh, that TV, that game show host, Rip Wink Martindale. Oh, that's Barry, his best friend? Yeah, Barry White and Wink Martindale were best friends. And this like, is like fan fiction to me. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It's insane. It's like, well, right, because their personas are like, oh, like... Mr. Sensual, and then like Mr. Afternoon. Right. (laughs) Um, So I've always thought of that as the operating model for like when famous people just want to hang around each other. But I don't know. I just interviewed Jeff Tweedy and for Pitchfork. And I think the reason they asked me to do it was because it came out that I had never heard Wilco. And I was like, I don't know. He seems nice when I see him around. You know, but I had like, so, and I think like he has this level of fame that like intimidates everyone. And I wasn't intimidated because I'd never heard it. So I was like... So wait, so let's let's rewind to how that's possible. <laughs> to never hear Wilco? Yeah. Especially in, in Chicago. Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? They're just like playing a street fest every minute? Uh, I'm sure they're, they were playing at Jinx when you worked there, right? <laughs> I don't think anyone was putting on Wilco. They were putting on like no wave shit, you know? Like... Maybe. I, yeah, that's weird. I don't know. I actually, my all of my memories of Wilco were in like... Uh, or listening to Wilco, especially for the first times, we're in sort of like parking lots with the promise ring. Right. Them blasting it from their van or something. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe they were listening. Right. So maybe in the promise ring van, I was hearing Wilco and didn't know it. Right. But that's like just not registering. I, I will say that after the interview, I had to write an introduction for the piece. And I was like, oh, shit, I better listen to Wilco. <laughs> so I like, found a like, Google 10 best Wilco songs. And I was like, man, these are good. Like, <laughs> these guys are cool. I mean, whatever. I knew he was so cool f- from the conversation. But like, uh, had you ever seen the movie? I hadn't. And I'd love to. Oh, I cause... guess you would have heard Wilco if you had. Right. Yeah, it's <laughs> pretty good. I actually found out about Wilco through Blake Schwarzenbach. Because um, when Jess Rizzo put out Four Corner Night... That was the first thing I ever wrote for Alternative Press. I was like 21. I was in college. And Blake was like, I'm really into this band Wilco. I was like, who? <laughs> and I listened to it. And I was like, listen to AM or being there or something. And then I was like obsessed with them for years. But then I felt like going to their I was cause going to their shows, they became so much of a jam band. Mm. Right. That it became like a little bit harder for me to like. Not even them. Sometimes like, you know, there's bands you really like, but their audience is kind of annoying. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I felt like they, there's certain bands like that. For I me. had like that Mars Volta was kind of like that. Tenariwan I couldn't go see anymore. Who's that? Tenariwan. You know okay. that band? No, um, I don't know them. They're like this, uh, I think it means open spaces or something. They're like this, whatever, they have like a world music audience. And it's like, it's sort of like the lungfish of the Sahara Desert. <laughs> you know, okay. it's like this just like total like <laughs> Saharan <laughs> Desert repetitive guitar riffs. Okay. And it's sort of like those records became my favorite records for so long. And, and then they would like, come to Chicago and I'd go see him and it would just be this like total like this crowd this like world music like we're having fun you like know, a like, lot of sarongs in the audience yeah, I don't know what's a sarong <laughs> you know those sort of like wrap around dresses. dresses yeah and I don't need and... everyone to not wear sarongs you know <laughs> right. but it's just like the way like the way people would demonstrate they're like we're having fun 
Like, but it's also, know? so, I, I mean, I want to get back to this for a second. So I want to ask you also about this, the, the jam band aspect of it. Cause the last time I saw Wilco, which now was several years ago. Uh, and I think the reason why it was the last time I saw Wilco is cause it got very jammy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I really just want to hear the song. Like I just mm-hmm. kind of got like a little bit bummed and it wasn't like interesting jammy to me. That was <clears> the thing. <throat> I can deal with some interesting jammy. I've seen like, uh, I mean, when Ryan Adams, for example, kind of goes off the rails and starts like, you know, jamming out, getting all Grateful Dead, I actually think he can get interesting jammy. He can take the plate, take the song places that Mm -hmm. uh, I would have, that I can appreciate hearing in that respect. But, you know, when I think of you and your music and you, you always seem like a very sort of up for it type musician to me, like you're just sort of... What, just open to... Yeah. 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 Um... But now that I think about it, I'm trying to think, like, I don't know that... Have you ever gone that route, like, super jammy? No, not at all. Like, occasionally, it's funny, Jeremy Boyle, who was in Joan of Arc for the first four years or something, has been playing with us again. And um, oh. after these couple shows together, he was like, it's amazing how when, you know, 20 years ago now, when we started, we had this, like very intensely constructed thing with these like margins of error built in he's like and it would that's what we were always screwing up was like this tension between when things can get loose versus like control you know Mm -hmm. um and he's like it's incredible to like be a part of that then step away and come back and it's like and it's, it's really a testament to how intuitive that is for us because this isn't like a way that we think of the process but he's like you know, now that happens just in like a way deeper, more uh, subtle way or something, you know? And it, I think about like when we're like the way we like when we're recording the like margin of error that we used to accept for like, well, I'm just doing the best I can. And this is where it was like, we are so I don't, tight isn't the right word now, but controlled or something, you know? Um, so meticulous that like the standard... I use this word deliberate a lot. Yeah, yeah, right. Deliberate's a great word for it. Um, that it's sort of like I can't imagine how... I mean, whatever, that's just a natural evolution. And I guess... But deliberate, right. So we were always deliberate and there's always this like... Little crack left open for like what can happen, you know? But, but we've never been like... Uh, just because I don't think we're like athletic, dexterous players in that way. You know what I mean? Right. Um, like I'm, I'm not that player at all. Like, yeah. <clears throat> and part of that maybe comes from the fact that like I'm not trained and like I don't. Uh, I know scales only in so much as I use them to sort of stretch my fingers out, but I don't actually right. know what to do with them. <laughs> right. Like when people are like, yeah, it's in the key of G. I'm like, okay. Well, like, I'm surprised <laughs> that, that the Wilco expansion is less interesting to you than the Ryan Adams expansion. I don't know where he goes with it, but I do know that the Wilco guys are like... Yeah, super trained. Yeah, like <laughs> having never... I, it's true, I never heard them, but also I've seen all those guys play in different contexts, and it's just like, those guys are total ringers. Well, that's like, yeah. the thing, too, especially like post Yankee Hotel Factory. Like, it would be ridiculous to have Nils Klein in your band and not, and have him playing like rhythm guitar or something. Right. But that said, like, and maybe this is just me and my own personal history sort of like speaking through Wilco on some level, but like, so I have an older brother who is a trained guitar player, like, you know, did the whole Peabody music of 
Institute of Music mm. uh, education. He runs a guitar institute in Maryland now. Hmm. Uh, he's also the sickest guitar player I've ever seen. Like literally just can play everything mm -hmm. um, like super virtuoso in classical jazz, blues, rock, the whole deal can play anything. He can outrun Ingve mm -hmm. if he wants to go that route. But it never was interesting to me ever. Mm -hmm. And I think part of my guitar playing always rebelled against his. Right. And, uh, and so I think that that whenever I see things that feel, um, virtuosic. Yeah. Or yeah. Sort of like the erudition of musicians. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's sort of like, you know, it makes, gives me a little nervous tick. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I, like I feel like those kind of people, it's also hard for them to play with other people. Like they mm -hmm. can sit in a room and tear up this stuff, but you get them in a room with like a drummer and a bass player and they can't. Mm -hmm. I mean, it depends. It's like, it's like the guys from Wilco, I would also probably think are, are up for it. Musicians in, in oh, a yeah, sense, of, sure. you know, definitely. And like, but I also think that there's a certain level of, you know, Part of being trained is sort of like knowing what you can and can't do. And I think not knowing what you can and can't do mm -hmm. is more interesting. Yeah, yeah. That's such a good way of putting it. Because I've totally known, known super trained people who are like, I don't know how to write music. And be like, well, I don't know, string a couple, you know, there's like some intervals between notes. Choose a couple that create an emotional response in you. <laughs> right. And there you go. But and like, that, I don't know how because I just know I learned how to play the most sophisticated, complex things. That, and that, I think, was always, you know, my brother's deal with me. You know, like, I mean, over the years, he would always be like, he'd see me play guitar and he'd tell me things like, you can't do that. And I'd right. be like, it sounds good. <laughs> right. um, but I also think that it's sort of, you know, at the end of the day, if you ask him, there's an element of regret, I mm -hmm. think, because, you know, and he's told me this straight up that, you know, he's just like, it's crazy to me that like you went out and like, you know travel the world and did your thing and like i have students who brought your record but your mm -hmm. record to, to learn you know my and brothers told me the same thing really <laughs> <laughs> but you know what i'm saying it's like yeah yeah it's, no, I totally it's, get it. it's that you know it's crazy but the whole point the difference was that i only cared about songs right and like i i that always technique. just like i just need to know enough to get through three and a half minutes of this song mm -hmm. and feel like it means something to me yeah <laughs> which like talking about music in that way music just becomes like the stand-in for anything in terms of like you know like i uh saw an old girlfriend recently we hadn't seen each other in literally 20 years and i was the last person she dated before marrying this guy and she was and so she was in town with a bunch of friends in common and so we're like oh this will be great we'll all hang out and she immediately got so weird for like the whole group because <clears throat> she was like so aggressive towards me towards like, well, some things never change. We all know how you are. And, and, it, was, and, and it was like, well, okay, we haven't seen each other in 20 years. I have no idea. Like, who am I? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, okay, tell me. So I'm exactly like 20 years. Okay. But I think it all just, the only way I could understand her behavior was it was like she had done everything right, you know, and she's like 40 year old woman who's done everything right. And I was like in that classic spot of like, I've done everything right and this is my life. Why do I feel unfulfilled? 
then looks at me who's like basically done everything wrong <laughs> and I'm like really having a great time doing that, you know? And so right. she's just like, you asshole. Like, why did I do everything right if you get to just do what you want? You know what I mean? Right. That totally... That's like your guitar playing versus your brother's guitar playing. Yeah. 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 I mean, although now I'm miserable. Well, yeah. Uh, no. I'm, I'm, I'm so sad, too. I do think about this one time that we were... I feel like this would have been in the late 90s or something, uh, like hanging out and talking or about just um, our bands and sort of the end of that era on some level. And uh, and I remember I felt like maybe this was the early 2000s, but I felt like you were going through a really kind of hard time at one point at um, where you started to feel like, you know, like this idea that people were beginning to think you peaked already oh, and you were like yeah. i'm like 24 how right. the fuck did i peak <laughs> yeah well i mean that definitely happened but that's sort of like being of a certain age and like uh i don't know like i see young musicians now and it's interesting you know because i'm in like a unique perspective as you are too in a way although i think i play more music still than you do or at least yeah. in the world but like it's interesting to see like a 24-year-old kid suddenly getting all this attention and be like, okay, how are you going to respond to that kid? Like, are you going to, will you survive this, you know? And it's not like a challenge thing, how are you going to do this? But it's interesting to watch because some people are like prepared for that attention and some aren't. And like, I don't know, especially before the internet, like uh, there was a different mystique to things and things were like less traceable, you know? Um so there's like this moment where like uh I don't know. I there's definitely a moment where my bands were getting a lot of attention and then there was a moment right after that where we were getting a lot of attention and I was sort of being vilified mm. and that was like very weird for me cuz I was like, "Well, wait. I thought people liked what I do. You right. know, I'm not allowed to do this, but it was I know that I was also like not cocky about it, but sort of like challenging the towards the whole thing you know like like after live in chicago we definitely could have made a record that wasn't the gap which was like okay let's process every measure of every song as intensely as possible because that was like the first record we made on pro tools so we were just like okay we need to exhaust the medium this is insane like so if we had been interested in like okay we need to like keep accumulating supporters we probably would have had different priority but we always had like the weird art mindset and we're like oh let's exhaust the medium cool right. <laughs> and it turns out it's like basically unlistenable to do that <laughs> but that was sort of like what we set out to do and then that was the moment where it was like i was 24 and i was like why does everyone hate me like if they don't like it can't they just ignore it why do they have to like pick well, on me i do it? think that's that's interesting too right cuz like i do think that there was sort of like a kinsella backlash for a minute like it was just like a like who do you think you are kind of vibe right which is crazy like in any sort of creative endeavor like i don't know i mean like what threat are the things i do like what threat could i possibly pose to like social order you know? <laughs> or like like i don't know I'm, I'm doing like this yeah whatever but it's also like i mean how old were you when you started captain jazz 15 yeah so like when i was 15 i was playing like gg allen covers in ohio no one cared about my band but mm -hmm. i feel like people cared about your band at such a young age by the time you're 24 
it's it's not like a normal 24 year old you know what i mean right well yeah i was 20 when captain jazz broke up and i was the oldest member um and i guess it was like through the promise ring and the captain jazz reissue people like became aware of joan of arc in a way that they wouldn't have otherwise if we were just doing what we did without like that sort of association you know um so that's probably why people were disappointed because they were just like, we want more of this sounding thing. Right. Right. That was, I think <clears throat> that was sort of the mixed message because the Captain Jazz actually, the reissue came out when Joan of Arc was already in it. Yeah. Yeah. So then it was like people who were just discovering that or whatever right. were just like, do more of that. <laughs> right. Right. Well, you know, I, uh, so I run a small press now, uh, Featherproof Books, and they put out my first novel five years ago or something. And then I took it over about a year and a half ago. And uh, I was working Chicago's biggest book fair last weekend, two weekends, two weekends ago. So I'm working the table with all these books on it. And like I just said, Featherproof put out my novel five years ago before I was in charge there or had anything to do with it. And this guy, he's like 55 or 60, like suburban looking dude. And he's like browsing the books and he taps on the cover of my book and he goes, Tim Kinsella, I know who that is. <laughs> And he says it to me. <laughs> I'm like, okay, do you? Okay, here I am. And he's then, a wonderful uh, person. Yeah, he's like, yeah. And then a uh, half hour later, there's like this like 19, 20-year-old girl. And she's like, oh, I've read this. This is great. Oh, I've read another book by her. It's so good. She taps on my book. And she goes, he's a total weirdo. <laughs> and it's like, she's saying that to me. And doesn't know that I'm me. But just sees my name and is like, I know all about him. And rolls her eyes. He's a total weirdo. So it's yeah. like, you know, people have some idea of me that I think doesn't uh, correspond to my own continuous subjective experience, right. which is obviously very biased. <laughs> which is funny because, I mean, even in, it's not to say that like, you know, obviously I think you were trying to push your own boundaries with Joan of Arc over the years and all that stuff. But like, it's not like if you take Joan of Arc in the relative scope of experimental music that I yeah, would yeah. think that that was super experimental. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it's not, no, it's, that's what's so funny about it. I mean, we were so aware of like, I mean, you were just saying like, how can we, how could you have not heard Wilco at Jinx? And it was like, there was so much music happening in Chicago then when Joan of Arc started, it was like, we would go to these no wave shows. We'd go to these free jazz shows. We'd go fireside, you know, see you guys promising and stuff. And it was like, we were aware that like the test of our purity of expression was we needed to, we needed to slip in the cracks between all genres. So we needed like, we needed the no wave people to be like, that's not no wave enough. We needed like the free jazz guys to be like, that's not anything enough. You know, we need the rock band guys to be like, that's not rock band enough, you know? Right. Um, and that's how, I mean, this was something we talked about. Like that was our purposeful intent at the beginning music with no genre. Cause it seemed like if people liked it just cause it was fulfilling their genre expectations, it was just sort of like, yeah, we're just satisfying this thing anyways. If we want to make something like real, it needs to like slip between things. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I also think it's, because of the world you're in too, like I feel like I would want a Jade Tree at that point. I wanted every band to sound like Lifetime or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the Jade Tree Association was part of people being like, "What?" 
But it was sort of the double-edged sword, too, because... Right, that's why people knew about it all. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Right, totally. yeah. Right. You are related to... I, when you're talking about books, I took this writing workshop in oh. college with this guy, W.P. Kinsella. Oh, who's the a father, Field of Dreams guy? Yep, the b- father of baseball fiction. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no relation. Okay. But um, <laughs> I can't believe he used... Where did you go to college? Ithaca College. And I was, it's good. Oh, and I was studying good. writing, and he did like a week or two where I would meet hmm. with him with like five other people every day. He would like... Were you writing about baseball? No, I don't know why they brought him in. I found I was at my special major. I, I was at my parents recently, and I found a poster of it. And no, he was like, but he was like talk about how he hung out with Richard Brodigan. Like mm-hmm. he had had some cool stories, but none of my writing was baseball fiction based. But he would critique it, and he was kind of like not That's, into anything we wrote. He'd be like, "Eh, this isn't eh, very not good." Not baseball. Yeah, <laughs> like like I was making, <laughs> like that's like my joke about my palate, buffalo sauce or not buffalo. Yeah. he'd just be like, oh, "What is? It? There's no baseball in this at all." Yeah, not, I, not, not I don't understand it. it. It's not clear. <laughs> <laughs> this part, I feel like you could use a little more baseball. <laughs> what if the guy's watching a baseball game in this scene? <laughs> Um, I, I did, I had a question when I was thinking, so this morning, actually, it's funny. So Jonah, uh, Jonah actually told me that this was with Mike yesterday, (laughs) (laughs) getting, getting back to smoking pot. And I was like, I was like, I don't think I said, yeah, Norman's like, I think you already had Mike on. I was like, I know we did. We're having Tim on. And I went back through my messages so confident that I had said Tim and was like, Hey, do you want to go with Mike? I was like, of course. <laughs> it, it was, yeah, it was more than once too. It was like, was Mike, it? Mike, 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 Mike. And it, I was just it's, like, it's, all right. Sometimes you have something. And I, but I was like, Mike must have been an amazing fucking podcast because <laughs> he just had him like three months ago. Fuck. Um, anyway, then he told me it was Tim. So after he told me it was you, I was in the shower this morning and I was thinking. Scratching all your American football questions. Yeah. I was like, fuck. No, no. But I, I actually was thinking, wrote all those songs. <laughs> <laughs> Let's on, talk about that. On the piano. <laughs> You're like, uh. Um, <laughs> I was a little embarrassed to release it under my own name, so I gave them to him. <laughs> he did a great job with them. Um, but no, no, but I was thinking about Captain Jazz, and I was thinking about sort of specifically because when you talk about like being 15 or whatever, like it's, I guess it was Toe Jam when yeah. you were 15. But, Good memory. Yeah. But the, uh, but you know, at that time when you're starting a band, usually most kids who start bands, and I, I certainly was one of them right we met um you know we would be like we'd say well what what do you want this band to sound like Mm -hmm. and so like when people would talk about texas like i always used to say this thing we're like i'm kind of thinking i would love it to sound like lungfish meets smashing pumpkins Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i i think we did an okay job with (laughs) that but um but with captain jazz i was like what were those conversations (laughs) well that was like i mean that was truly just came out of so much tension between us. I mean, like it's the feeling that that band evoked was like a very real thing. We weren't like, we weren't like some like chill dudes being like, well, let's try to make something that sounds like we're going through some sort of ecstatic trauma. I mean, we were like (laughs) really troubled young people, you know? Mm. Um, And then the characters involved, like Sam, just the weirdest bass player in the world. I don't know if people listen to that record and maybe only the bass players of the world recognize how weird it is what he's doing. But, um, and then Victor was like classically, like grew up playing classical guitar. Um, and wasn't really into punk rock at all. And we met him skateboarding and we're like, hey, we got this punk band, man. You play guitar, you should come over. And it was like your brother being thrown into this situation, except he was, <laughs> except we were 12. And he was just like, 
what are you guys doing? And then he'd, he'd like play like, you know, green sleeves or like <laughs> that Randy Rhodes solo D. And, and oh, so wow. we would be like playing like, da, 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 da. And he'd be like, I don't know. <laughs> and Mike was like super into like the lemon heads and the gin blossoms and Ned's atomic dustbin. So he like wanted this. Nailed like, it. Yeah. So Mike always like wanted that kind of thing or like dinosaur junior i guess or worked in there but i was just into like you know power violence stuff so <laughs> it was like everyone having that conversation and then at the end when davy joined he was just like can we just have like don henley boys of summer or like this john cougar mellencamp vibe <laughs> so the music was truly a combination of like every part me being like no, it needs to be more power violence. Mike being like, no, it needs to be more gin blossom. <laughs> yeah. I could see that. I mean, that's, that's interesting. That's super interesting. I mean, I was just literally like, I was thinking about it and I was like, I just don't understand. Cause like, you know, when you're younger, you don't really have like a very sophisticated vocabulary for right. what you want to do. Well, do you know Gage? Do you remember the band? The band? Yeah, yeah. 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 Like I saw them 82 times, not including the reunion shows. Cause I remember at their last <laughs> shows at my dad's moose lodge. And they had a list of every show they ever played, and I counted. Holy shit. 82 times. So, like, basically, our experience of seeing live bands was just, like, seeing Gage, you know? So there's a large part of what we were trying to do that was just match the sort of intensity that they had. I'm not familiar with them. What? Um, they're a Chicago band. Um, I mean, they put out three, two full lengths... And then like a bunch of seven inches and a EP. Um, really amazing musicianship. I'd never seen music that was that aggressive have that sort of like skillful execution before them. Um, very Fugazi, kind of slint. And they were like our own age or a couple years older. And they were touring, you know, which was like two of them were my own age and like juniors in high school and they were going on tour, you know? So it was like, uh, really amazing for us. They, they sort of, everything we did was just cause they sort of showed us how to do it, you know, or that it could be done. Wow. Yeah. They're amazing. Um, did you have any bands like that that inspired you in that way, Norman? No, not like that. I mean, I think that, you know, like Gage is a band that like I'd heard of, Mm -hmm. But when I moved to Chicago, I didn't really, the way people spoke about them at first was so, it was very reverent. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I guess this is a band that really <clears throat> means something. And I, I missed that. I feel like I've talked about that on this podcast before, like just talking about sort of like regionality and mm -hmm. how much I sort of miss that. Yeah, like for how, sure. I don't know how much of that really exists anymore. I mean, we talk about That's things like, thing. yeah. yeah, I mean, cause even when you're way. talking about like the Brooklyn scene, well, all these bands, you know, moved here from other places. They're not mm -hmm. really from Brooklyn. It's not like a bunch of kids in fucking, you know, Bed-Stuy got together and started a band. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like they're kids from all over, but you know, when you, especially when you're talking about like, <clears throat> like the Midwest or, you know, or other areas in America that maybe are less transient, that regionality pre-internet especially provided so much originality and flavor and and sort of like it was nice to tour and mm -hmm. be exposed to all these different sounds and styles yeah, yeah. and 
you know, even the way people danced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know? for sure. I like, remember like first time in DC seeing like all these women dance to like the DC bands and being yeah. like, whoa, this is like an intensely different, like this is the physical manifestation of Riot Girl as like a joyous experience. Like yep. it was so intense. Yeah. And I just don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that sort of exists anymore. And that's, you know, a little bit sad. Like, I feel like if Gage had come up in the internet era, mm-hmm. everyone would have heard of them and they well, would have been over. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, it's also a thing that, like, if you were to hear it now, you would, might be like, hmm, yeah, okay, whatever. Right. But it was the power of, like, that they were doing it and they were doing it as a regional thing. Because at that time, before the internet, you would, like, mail order a photocopied zine and have like a blurry black and white photo of a guy falling down and being like that's all you knew about this band and you'd be like oh i gotta see that right you know like universal order of armageddon or something i love this um have you seen this website hardcore architecture Mm -mm. okay it's a it's a tumblr site and basically what they're doing it's sort of like an art project of sort but like they're taking old maximum rock and roll classified ads and uh then Google mapping the addresses and posting photos of the houses with oh, the ads. Man. That is so cool. <laughs> it's super cool. My boyfriend's house is on there. Oh, that's great. From his old band's Maximum Rock and Roll ad. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but there's, you know, like NYC Mayhem, like all these random hardcore and punk bands and stuff from the mm-hmm. 80s that are also in there. But looking at these houses for me is really like sort of captured my imagination in a lot of ways because it's reminding me of that time. And especially like when you're like, here's this house in Lincoln, Nebraska, where some band called fucking, you know, like blood tunnel, like, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) had their demo tape. And you're just thinking like this band existed in this typical suburban house. It's so weird because there's like this feeling, right? There's like, it's a little bit embarrassing. Like, oh, were these old guys talking about the good old days, nothing nothing could match like that feeling of magic. And it's like I'm definitely not qualitatively. Yeah, yeah, I know. But I'm saying yeah. like that's that's a sort of cliche of like, you know, I'm a forty year old guy. I've gone through a series of relationships with twenty seven year old women <laughs> and like there's like this embarrassing sort of thing of like like you and I were talking about before about like weird, yeah, forty. Like it's a lot different to be like sixty is the new forty, I think, you know, because <laughs> it's like I don't feel like like a 40 year old, like I thought of 40 year olds when I was a kid, but I don't think it has, I think it has to do with the internet and like how freely, like, I think our nostalgia isn't for, Oh, I wish I was 22 again or 27 again. But like, it was amazing that there could be, uh, secrets (laughs) (laughs) and you could find the secrets and they had, and I don't mean that as like a, um, like, a. Like, I don't mean to be, like, cultural oligarch or something. Like, oh, you know, only the selected few can know the special things. But it was, like, even going on tour and, like, buying records is, like, not a thing that is interesting anymore. Because it used to be, like, I would have a list of, like, these 30 records I'm looking for. And I would get to whatever town and be, like, this is the record store. Will they have this? Right. Now it's, like, anything you want to hear, you're just, like, "Mm, I could type it into Google. Right. So the, the, the hunt is gone. Right. Um, and it's not, I mean, I, the secret thing I think is, is sort of a good thing to talk about because it's not that, you know, you're talking about like the oligarchy or what you're saying. Like it's, it's more an issue of just like when something is able to sort of exist for a little while and develop mm-hmm. without scrutiny, 
uh, it creates something different yeah, yeah. than when, you know, you're immediately scrutinized. Right. Like, I mean, there's a part of like me doing this tour now that I'm like, well, I'm playing Pittsburgh and Columbus because I need to get from Chicago to the East Coast. But there's definitely a time in which going on tour, uh, you were aware that like, I guess what I'm saying is there's a way now in which I sort of feel like mm, I should probably play New York and L.A., I don't really need to play anywhere else. Like that's where the people who will get what I'm doing and be into what I'm doing will live. Right. But there was a time in which, you know, you were just aware of like, okay, Sioux City, Iowa tonight. All right. Like Lincoln, Nebraska. And it's like, there wasn't like this. So it was experientially about just doing what you do everywhere. And you had to, because there wasn't the internet. Right. Do you think there's also an element of like people like, from those cities kind of gravitating towards bigger places. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But it's also, like, um, I used to have friends in all these places 15 years ago, and now the people that were my friends just live in Chicago, New York, or L.A. Yeah. So it's, like... Totally. I know we just played... And it's not like we don't make new fans who are, like... There aren't, like, 20-year-olds who are, like, hey, what's this Joan of Arc thing about, you know? Like, so our people have all moved big cities we just played in boston like two weeks ago and yeah there was even answer to guest list i was like no no i don't know anyone here anymore i used to know like 20 people here yeah yeah. it's weird so why why uh because joan of arc sort of seemed like it was on the shelf for a minute Mm -hmm. why take it off the shelf uh it's always on and off the shelf it's funny it's totally like there's a big shift there's a maybe i don't know five years ago maybe we like got to a point maybe eight years ago by now where we were like, okay, we've been living so long where the band is the center of our life lives. And then we fit everything else in our lives around the band. And I remember like making the conscious decision. We had this talk. We we're like, okay, let's all live our lives and live them as satisfied as possible. And then see how the band fits into that, you know, which is a total reversal of how the band operates. And the, and part of that was being like, let's be a local band. Like, let's see what that's like. Like, uh, it sounds funny, but it, it maybe it's going back to what you were saying about regionality. We were just like, what would it be like to just exist as like... And it, it's funny now, because like, not many people come to see us in Chicago anymore. I mean, I guess our last show was good. Um, but it's like, we still were just like, let's rein it in because we're exhausting ourselves. And, you know, 2013, I was traveling 175 days. So that's like, I was 38. That's a lot of days for a 38-year-old man to be traveling, you know, if it's not like on some comfortable scale. So it's not like it's that long ago that we've been more ambitious with our travels, you know. But um, it's funny, though, because like, there's a part of me that's like, oh, yeah, Boston just played Boston. And it's like, well, no, actually, I played there a year ago. Then I played there a year before that. When, like, when you're actually, like, touring a lot, it's like, like, make-believe our idea was to be local everywhere. And it wasn't <laughs> How weird. How does that work? <laughs> it wasn't weird for us at all to, like, play a city and see posters for the next time we were playing there. Like, that's how much we toured. <laughs> and um, I was just telling Jimmy, who I'm traveling with, that... Uh, one time we were in Pittsburgh and Sam got really drunk after the show and was walking down the street on top of cars and like got rested <laughs> and had to be back in Pittsburgh for a court date. 
And the next morning when we got him and he had the court date, we looked at the thing and it was just like this incredible coincidence that we already had a show in Pittsburgh that night. <laughs> like, and it was like, oh, great. <laughs> We're going to be here that day anyways. This is, you know, that's like such a charmed life to have that sort of shit fall in place. <laughs> you can get arrested. It's the freedom. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> I mean, you just live on tour that much. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, I uh, got a public intoxication ticket here in college and booked my court date around a tortoise concert. Saw a tortoise. <laughs> Literally, like, didn't show up to one court date. Then I was like, oh, tortoise is playing. And the cop was like, you didn't show up to her last time. I was like, I know, but I had some other stuff going on. And it worked out. <laughs> I feel like sometimes when you're younger, shit just works out and you never really appreciate it. And then I'm I like, mean, I don't know. Well, what? I just feel Younger like I have so much. What? Well, I just feel like I have so much anxiety about everything now. Whereas before, uh, I'd be like, eh, it'll work out, and it would. I don't know, man. Things really work out for me. So yeah? I, it's. <laughs> I have a real biased opinion on this. That's I great. Hung out with an old friend last night, and and she was like, I couldn't tell if she was scolding me for like how good my life is <laughs> or she was like are you trying to take credit for this because this is just, you have you have more dumb luck than anyone i've ever known so don't take credit for this and i was like i'm not taking credit or not i'm just saying like it's magical and i love it like i can't believe i don't think like see here's the thing i don't think that i'm realizing now that a lot of the quality of life and, for, and, and i hate that it took me this long to really realize this but i, I really feel like the quality of my life is directly related to my overhead. Uh, What's your overhead? Meaning your expenses? My expenses to live. <clears throat> so mm -hmm. basically, when I lived in Chicago, I still look at Chicago as like the promised land. It's, it's still like a place that I want to live again because I feel like... I remember Tim was the first person I called actually when I, wanted to, when I was, wanted to leave New York. And I said, what do you pay for rent? And I think at the time it was like... 280. 280, yeah. It was <laughs> almost 300 bucks, something like that. And I was like would you say that that's normal? <laughs> and you were like, yeah. And I was like, okay, can I sleep on your couch this weekend? <laughs> <laughs> and I went to Chicago and I found an apartment in one weekend. Uh, it was a two bedroom for six fifty, And I'm like, Pfft. yeah, you know, and I remember like the landlady being like, now you don't have a roommate yet. And I was like, no, she's like, are you sure you can handle it? And I was like, I pay more than this now for a bedroom. Like yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm totally good. And when I went to Chicago, it actually was a, a situation where technically if you looked at me in my life, you'd be like, what are you doing? Because I literally had like, I had two jobs and I DJed like a DJ residency. I DJed pretty regularly. So technically to me, I had three jobs because it felt like I was always mm -hmm. doing something. And I didn't need three jobs, actually. I yeah, barely yeah. needed one. But I was just like this is great because when you have no overhead, you just do what you want. Yeah. Yeah. That's and, totally why I'm still there. I mean, it, well, and, okay. well, no, no. I mean, I was going to say, so I feel like, uh, you know, the charmed life that you have might be yeah. connected. It totally is. <laughs> I mean, like my rent, I just moved six months ago and until then my rent had been 400 hours for the last eight years. And, uh, and that was in a spot where just Joan for Bar comparison, I just want everyone to know I pay twelve hundred a month. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah. My, the place I moved, I now live alone, and it's like really nice, and it's like my rent tripled, but my quality of life quintupled, so it's fine. But like for eight years, I was paying four hundred dollars a month rent, and uh, we had our own practice space in the apartment that like we didn't have to share with anyone. So like we kept our stuff set up, we kept our stuff mic'd just like and we could play 24 hours a day like it'd be like you know two in the morning the bar closes and it's like 
I don't know. You want to record? Okay. You know, and, and where can you do that? You know, like right. anywhere else, 400 hours is what you pay to share a practice space with someone. Totally. Right. Um, there's a definitely like, I'm aware of like Chicago feels like I live in a college town in a lot of ways, you know, like it's just like this feels like a podunk place compared to New York, London, Berlin, Tokyo, you know, international. It doesn't feel like an international city. Right. So I get like a little like embarrassed when people like, act like it's like international city i don't know whatever no no i know what I, you're I don't saying. mean to sound like it's a funny insecurity of mine or something but i do feel a little bit like the guy who just i've lived in the same neighborhood 20 years you know it's, i mean it's i've never weird. thought of it as a college town but when you said it and when i think about when i moved there one of the things that i think i was so blown away by because i don't think you can do this in new york i don't think you do this in la is the fact that so here's the thing when i moved there the only people I really quote unquote knew at the time were you mm-hmm. and Kim Nolan who had just mm-hmm. moved to Mexico. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was pretty much just like, all right, I'm starting from scratch. And that's what I wanted. That's why I went there. But I literally just from living where I was living and just sort of like hanging out within a four block radius immediately met dozens of people mm-hmm. um, easily. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we were all playing music. And yeah. All like, it's pretty incredible that way. Like, um, uh, you know the the musician, the free jazz guys, and the DJs, and the painters, and the graffiti kids, and it's it's like there's not really a hierarchy or like a it's very porous, you yeah. know. So that's why a lot of like weird hybrid things come out of there because it's like you do have the time. You like it's not because you're not sweating to make your rent all the time. You don't need something you're doing to be successful. You can just be like, I don't know, let's fuck around and see how it goes. And um, is it still like that? You feel like. I mean, obviously, I have a very biased perspective. Like most people my age have, are you know, I Manny, the promoter in Pittsburgh, the other day just told me I hold the record for the person he set up the most shows for, which I took to be a very dubious honor <laughs> because it's like every other band either breaks up, like they get tired of it, and they're like, "Oh, let's get on with our lives." Or they get popular enough that they're playing bigger rooms. Right. <laughs> but I, just, I hold the record for the guy who just keeps doing it. So it's certainly still that way for me. I will say that like I get a lot of... Uh, I work from like 9 a.m. to 1 a.m. every day. I'm like pretty compulsive. I got a lot of different things I'm juggling and I'm like serious about them. So I do get a lot of invitations to jam that I'm just sort of like, hey, no, you guys go ahead, you know. Um, but romantically speaking, I, th- I I think that still happens. I don't know. You're still doing it. I mean, here's the thing too with Manny is like, you know, I always say this like with people who have the privilege, I think, of being able to also be self-sustained musicians in the sense that you do operate in bands, but mm-hmm. you could also play by yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... I'm playing by myself Sunday. Right? Yeah. Right. So, yeah. I mean, and, and I love that because you can't break up with yourself. Right. <laughs> you can try. I can't pressure myself to do anything I don't want to do. Right. You know, I can't be like, no, it'd be really important to do this gig. Right. It's like, eh, if I don't want to, I don't have to. It's a, you yeah. could, but, you know, then right. that might be back to the psychedelic conversation. Yeah. yeah. It's into like some profound self-loathing issues. Right. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think it's, it's awesome, uh, because that's, that's, you know, when we talk about even like, uh, 
my kind of lack of playing music, I think a lot of that is because I'm not that sort of self-sustained situation. Self-sustained or self-motivated? Um, no, I think self-sustained in the sense that like I need other people, mm-hmm. like I can't right. just go out by myself and do it. Right. Um, for not for the motivation aspect of it as much as I, I enjoy the collaborative aspects. of Yeah. It. Yeah. Me too, for sure. But I definitely flip back and forth constantly between like wide open collaborative thing and then like needing some solitary thing. Like they're both satisfying for me in very different ways. Totally different disciplines in my mind. All right. Welcome back. Uh, that was Tim Kinsella. You do a great job, man. With yeah. With all these guests. Oh, come on. No, seriously. It's good. Uh, yeah. Tim's, Tim's awesome. I don't even know how this one came about, but we had Mike Kinsella on uh, like last year, I think. And I'm working on getting uh, Nate Kinsella, who lives here now, who's their cousin, Mike and Tim's cousin. <laughs> So I'm going to get the whole fucking crew. And I wanted to give a shout out to my friend Tom Mullen. Yes. I saw last night, he is an emo night every month at Jerome's, and he gave me a shirt that says, In Kinsella We Trust, with um, the state of Illinois on it. And I wore it out, and I got, like, literally wore it out, and I went to a party, and someone was like, that's the fucking nerdiest shirt I've ever seen. <laughs> and I was like, I know, it's cool, it's cool, but it's kind of cool, right? Now, have, you seen, have you seen his, his little bot, uh, is this band emo? Yeah. He, I saw him at a Frank Turner show the other night. He's like, he's like let's check out... He typed in Jonah Bear and it's like, we have not heard of this. And it's like, United Nations is like, no. But then he typed in Frank Turner. Frank Turner is not emo? Not emo? You know what happens if you if you type in the used? No. It says uh, something of, um, uh, no, but this probably means you watch Stevens Entitled Rock Show a lot. Aww. Really? <laughs> nice. Because I thought it fame. would just be a toilet flushing <laughs> <laughs> when talking about the used, but that's just me. Oh. <laughs> Oh, my phone's buzzing. Bird from the used is calling calling Steak Mountain right now. Yeah, it's my wife. She's probably wondering, are you still doing that fucking podcast with those hooligans? (laughs) Yes, dear. I love being called a hooligan. I do too. Um, If you want to call us names, uh, go on our website, uh, goingofftrack.com. You can also donate money if you don't want to call us names. Yeah, man. Have have we tried the the dollar thing again? Because I get little donation feeds every once in a while from people. Uh, Yeah, donate a dollar, support this podcast. Um, If if everybody listening to this podcast just threw a dollar at us like you were tipping a barista or Mm -hmm. dropping change, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then uh, we could pay the tolls to get us here. Speaking of which, thank you again to Epitaph Records for sponsoring this episode. Check out The World is a Beautiful Place to. The world is a beautiful place, and I'm no longer afraid to die as new I'm harmlessness. Out now, check them out on tour this fall with Foxing. This town needs guns and bright side. You don't have to read it fast. It's good. Yeah, I know. But I just want to wanted to put that in there. And actually, I actually do think this record is cool. So I don't like every record. Chris probably hates almost every record. No, there's stuff you like. Foxing from- sounds like a really good band. Or This Town Needs Guns. That sounds great. Foxing is a good name. I like that. I like a, I like a lot of a, dead air after that. I like a good verb. Foxing. Yeah. Foxing, I've heard, actually heard a lot of good stuff about. I feel like all I listen to is like Knapsack on repeat and Silkworm. So I don't really I listen, listen to a lot of new bands. <laughs> I listen to nothing but, <laughs> nothing but Beachling. So. Yeah. Beachling, have you heard of the new record? Uh, no. Beachling has a new record. No, but I have. It's not out yet. It's not out. I did the bio for it. It's not a big deal. Oh, no. Oh. oh. Look at that. But anyways, yeah. Oh, also, this is kind of exciting. Um, I don't know when this is coming out, but I have my first feature this month in a magazine called High Times. Oh, Oh, shit. And it is an interview interview with a frequent collaborator of Steak Mountain's, Lord Jane Grace. Yes. 
Where so, she talks about getting high. Yeah, probably. we talk about we talk about we got high, high times, and then oh. we talked about getting high. Wow! And then I got paid for that's it. That's fucking meta. And it was pretty much <laughs> holy shit. My that, dream gig. That's I also, wow. I, I also, thought Penthouse was the epitome for you. I also recently wrote a piece <laughs> for it. I thought Penthouse was good. Playboy was good. Getting. Um, but I also recently did a piece for Dan Ozzy that will probably be out by the time this runs where I watched a uh, Kemburn Civil War documentary series in one sitting. I'm sorry. So in the last week, I've gotten paid to smoke weed and write about it and then watch TV and write about it. Except. Uh, except it wasn't as exciting as I thought it would Ken be. Ken Burns, we will slowly <laughs> pan across this picture. As you'll see in the article. Forever. <laughs> about five hours in, I just ended up just drawing generally in Abraham Lincoln. You and, should and not paying attention, and the drawings will be published. That's good. Did you talk about Ken Burns' hair? No. Well, if you've never seen it, you should definitely Google it. At one point, because <laughs> it is fucked. <laughs> Whatever's w- on his head is fucked. He's like a fucking. He's like a wearing a beetle wig. At one point, I did write. <laughs> it's brutal. I wrote in the margin. I took notes on the whole thing. Actually, maybe this won't be out by the time it runs, but who cares? Uh, I wrote in the margin. Fuck Ken Burns. That's real. <laughs> when you see his his weird like turkey neck and his bowl cut, he's yeah. like Prince Valiant. If Prince Valiant lived to be fifty eight, it's brutal. Which he didn't because of the scurvy. Exactly. How are his sideburns? <laughs> wow. Anyways, uh, you can do- if you like jokes like that. Also, <laughs> if you like just fucking head the that Punisher mic, <laughs> strikes again. You can also check out my new pun column on Noisy called Up the Puns. Up the Puns. Yeah, yes. man. That's a um, good one. I just broke this. Like that the probably, if you yeah that crazy sound that probably came through was Steak Mountain bashing his head with them with the with fucking the mic. sideburns. <laughs> Anyways, joke. let's end this. Uh, you can donate. You can leave us a review on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter. Thanks to everybody who has been donating. There's Thanks been a to everyone few. who's donated. Clearly, you know how the internet works if you're listening to a podcast. So we'll be back next week. Thanks. Bye.